Infrastructure as Code is an approach to machine provisioning and setup in which a programmer describes the underlying services they need for their project. However, this infrastructure code doesn't compile to a binary artifact like traditional source code. The successful completion of running the code signals that the servers and other components described in the configuration file have been created automatically by the tools being used. In this episode, I speak with Christian Trageser, DevOps consultant with Worldwide Technology. We discuss the way modern development groups are using infrastructure as code and other tools to advance their products and solutions. Christian, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Kyle. Great to be here. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about your background as a technologist? Sure. So I've been in IT for coming up on 20 years now, have traversed the roles of, you know, basic desktop support, uh, worked my way up through systems administration, systems engineering, networks, virtualization, worked for an MSP for a small amount of time, and then kind of got into uh, helping the infrastructure aspects of cloud. Not too long after that, started working for a uh, great company, a software development company, where I was actually able to sit and work directly with uh, development teams. And from there, I learned a ton. I've been pretty much doing that since then. Uh, the business more or less is traversed outside of our custom development teams to actually helping uh, clients of our company. And I've learned a lot, been having a great time. And yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at from now. Well, technology has certainly changed quite a bit, and it's uh, rather a treadmill to keep up with at times. You'd mentioned cloud as being one of those major innovations. Do you have any perception on the degree to which we're having success with cloud adoption? Are most people who should be on cloud currently there? You know, that's a good question. You know, I think that cloud has certainly uh, become mainstream. I think that that's good for uh, a lot of organizations. I think it's a challenge that uh, many, many organizations are learning about the differences between, you know, more or less running a data center, running virtualization, and, you know, more or less using APIs to provision uh, aspects that, that you're now managing or using. And have you seen any ways in which the, I guess, the, maybe the titling or the professional services have evolved in this time period? Certainly, you know, where you might just have been a software engineer or a programmer at some point, you're probably specialized now. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on the general structure of an effective team? So, you know, there are certain aspects. I think why is this challenging is because it traverses so many aspects of what it means to run solutions, right? Run technical solutions. Typically, we would have these siloing of responsibilities that would come together for certain efforts, projects, and more or less contribute together to provide that solution, right? And with the way that the technologies exist today, there is a ton of enablement that is available to any one organization that's trying to, to do this in the cloud. And so uh, one of the advents, in my opinion, of, uh, I'm sorry, one of the advantages, in my opinion, is the advent of infrastructure as code. Right. Infrastructure as code allows us to treat our infrastructure as software. And that's a very empowering thing. If you know how to work with software, how to create software, it's a different domain, I think, from the traditional sysadmin or infrastructure roles. While you do have knowledge in those domains of what you're accomplishing with, with your code, 
uh, if you're not experienced in writing code, and, and this is not only just typing in your, your IDE to do something automatically, but the way that you manage that code, the, may, the way that you validate or qualify that code, that's a new thing to learn. I personally don't think I would have stumbled upon it had I not had the experiences that I have of working with development teams uh, who utilize uh, certain characteristics of their of their processes like TDD. Those were enlightening experiences for me. And I've found that it greatly benefits the amount of success that I have with those tools. And so if you're not familiar with those aspects and you're kind of just getting introduced to cloud through the tooling, that's where I think it becomes um, pretty challenging or, or people start to, to kind of struggle, organizations start to struggle. When I'm working on personal projects, I love infrastructure as code because I can stand everything up, work on it for an afternoon and get rid of it. I'm very cost conscious in that regard. What are some of the other use cases or ways organizations leverage infrastructure as code? So I love the same kind of ephemeral characteristics of being able to prove out proofs of concepts. It's great to kind of work on something, build something, throw it away. Cool. We have we have kind of a successful thing that we can do whenever we want. But I think that there are wonderful aspects to infrastructure as code in terms of the longevity of projects or the longevity of, of uh, infrastructure that really allows us to capture you know, a, a point in time or as change happens throughout the life cycle of a solution. Those are very enabling characteristics of infrastructure that allow you to test your code, to audit your code, to review right, your code. Um, these aspects of, of, I think, what are now becoming mainstream uh, characteristics of developing software can now be applied to our infrastructure. And it also provides another medium of collaboration in that of the code repo. So no longer, I guess I shouldn't say no longer, but we can reduce the amount of time that we spend having face-to-face uh, -face discussions or uh, you know other types of what used to, I think, maybe require meetings at the top. We can more efficiently communicate through code to accomplish these strategies. Do you have a vision for how infrastructure as code should be managed from a software release cycle point of view? Do I have an opinion about it? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think I've been told at times I, I'm pretty passionate about these aspects. And really, you know, it's not that what I think is, you know, canon or, or law or maybe even the best way to do something. You know, one, another one of the aspects of, of kind of systems thinking of, I think, really the true benefits of, what, you know, DevOps in that we all have ideas of how to do things as, as engineers. And being in a cross-functional team, being able to have these conversations across many different domains, getting many different perspectives, a, diverse, a diversity of thought to contribute to the solutions is really one of the more uh, appealing aspects uh, of my job currently. I love talking with other roles, uh, other perspectives of the solution that we're working towards and so to get that feedback or the, uh, consider those perspectives when we're working towards a solution, I think does enable that role, who's ever responsible for maybe the infrastructure or cloud or whatnot, to understand really what, what's more valuable for the team, for the organization. And so it's, again, more about collaboration and finding different ways to come together as a team and, and work towards a common goal. Can you tell me a bit about your role at Worldwide Technology and what they do? 
Sure. So, um, like I said, I was able to get hired uh, by this wonderful company to work with development teams directly. And it was uh, another organization before we were purchased by Worldwide Technology. Uh, but I was brought on to kind of help with the delivery aspects of our common uh, custom uh, software solutions. And so I, like I said, learned a lot from working with developers where I'd, I'd never worked for developers before. I was really just back on the, the infrastructure as code building of infrastructure. And this organization allowed me to work side by side with these developers. So I started to get this perspective and just absolutely loved it. We do custom software development as, as uh, consultants. We also um, help out organizations with their DevOps efforts. So the organization started to see the benefit for our uh, development teams to have this infrastructure knowledge on their teams as they progress throughout the different aspects of creating software, right? So there's management of the of the assets that we're working with, the technical assets. There's the the, the automated testing of the, the software that we're creating. It's there's the delivery of these solutions, and um, as we got you know, more and more information about those types of capabilities for teams. We also started getting requests from some of our clients. Hey, could you help out with some of our efforts, our DevOps or transitional efforts? And so I've gone from kind of being in the uh, systems engineering role first when I was first hired uh, with this company called Asynchrony. We were purchased by Worldwide Technology. I think it was 2015. Um, and since then, we've been uh, able to do external projects, right? Working with our clients to help them through their transformational or transitional projects or, you know, overall improvement efforts. And so, you know, from my perspective, Worldwide is a very big company. We, we, we do a lot of things. But from my perspective, it's custom software development and these uh, assistance in DevOps uh, in one, one shape, one way or another. What sorts of transformations do these companies want to go through? Well, I think we have a traditional agile transformations. I don't want to say traditional, but uh, agile transformations are some aspects that I've helped out with. We certainly do have services for those. Others are maybe tooling implementations. So there is a, an organization that's interested in a specific tooling. They might need some help to understand how to best use that or utilize that tool. And then there are process improvements is kind of how I think it. Process improvement, performance enablement uh, capabilities, and we assist along with that as well. Do you see a lot of multi-cloud or combination cloud on-prem solutions that you have to work with? Yeah, you know, there are a lot of projects where the client is essentially in transition. Uh, that could be from a data center to a specific cloud or from one cloud to another. I think that cloud is being the, the public clouds that we have now are really kind of falling or getting favor for certain services that they have, right? So if we're going for something like uh, we want to build our own private cloud, I'm sorry, our own infrastructure in a cloud, I think that the, all of the technologies in AWS are, are kind of favored there. We're talking about uh, AI and, and th those types of uh, aspects looking more towards Google Cloud. I've had the fortune, fortunate uh, ability to work with uh, Azure, dealing with a lot of enterprise organizations. And, you know, I've not had to take care of an Active Directory uh, server in many, many years because that's more of a service. Now that's just kind of available, very easy to integrate uh, on-prem. Um, so it's just, yeah, I think that's, it's, you know, 
we may be in a transition all the way to cloud. We might just stay with this hybrid thing. I, I'm not really sure, but the integrations are certainly there from what I'm seeing. Well, there are a lot of trends in software. Uh, your comment that Active Directory, I guess you could still choose to manage it if you wanted to, but I don't know why anyone would. Just get the managed service. We're seeing database as a service and a ascension of the hi these higher level things. Do you have a vision for what a typical technology group looks like in the future? Are they just gluing together all these services or is there really core IP that companies will own? I don't know about IP. I think that, you know, there is a certain level of effort to create things and own them like, from a custom perspective. And so there's always that question of do we buy or do we build things? And so as certain clouds get known for, for services, I think there's really just a focus on what is the business objective? What are we working towards? How do we make money? How do we provide value? And uh, if you are able to take on certain responsibilities, own certain services without too much of a deviation from what provides your organization value, I, I would say just kind of, you know, continue to pursue that. But to go back to the Active Directory thing, if I can pay somebody to kind of take care of that for me as our business pursues what it is that provides value, then I think that that makes sense. So it's a bit of give and take. And if you can get into a service, I think that's popular, you're going to make a lot of money. But uh, again, always staying uh, business focused, what's providing us value versus the operational overhead that's required to achieve that goal. Do you get into many conversations about technical debt and planning in that regard? It, it's sometimes hard to know when to invest in just refactoring technology and things like that. Do you have any general thoughts or are you asked by clients to make considerations about how much they should invest future looking versus maintenance? You know, in my experience, I, I see uh, I've seen organizations be pretty eager to make, uh, I guess, a, a capital expenditure. I think that there is quite a bit of uh, purchasing that's that's done at times with a lot of hope up on a technology, and there's really an interesting realization, maybe an enlightenment, when when new technology is kind of uh, first brought in and. People try it out. They kick the tires on it. And I think that there's maybe an experience there that's not quite expected. And so understanding that, you know, perhaps operating in the cloud is not going to be like operating uh, on, on a virtualization platform in your data center. Those are, are interesting considerations to kind of see uh, happen and, and understand. But I'm not sure. It's really up to the organization. Ultimately, we get down into certain aspects of in order to become more performant, we need to change in the processes in which we're, we're working, not so much those individual tools. And I would say that given the patterns that are starting to erupt, to form across the individual vendors of all of the different uh, technologies, I'm not sure that the tooling is the most important aspect of, the, of, of, of you know, these efforts. But that's usually where we, where we start off. Makes sense. Well, when I think about infrastructure as code, I've done some projects with uh, Amazon CloudFormation. I think Azure and GCP may have equivalent tools, or perhaps they don't, because there's Terraform, which I think has an approach to multi-clouds through different connectors it plugs in. Are there any other major tools I should be thinking about if I want to get interested in infrastructure as code? I don't want to keep hitting the depends drum, but but 
it depends, right? So I think Terraform is being adopted very well, and it's very common. And I work with it a lot with uh, in, across individual projects. But again, I think that a lot of organizations might default to that uh, in certain aspects where it might not be best to to do Terraform is if you had a cross-functional team, right? And the application itself is maybe written in an interpreted language or aesthetically typed language. It might be better to go with a tool like Pulumi, where we can have all of not only the application code, but the infrastructure code be written in the same language. And the test, the same test framework being used all the way across that stack, I think is a very powerful kind of concept, right? In order for the team to kind of reduce the, the mental the cognitive load to use the, the the tooling. That being said, being able to have a solution that's created with Terraform probably increases your chances of being able to hire that skill a skill set to come and join you, or maybe excel in the role that you're you're hiring for. So there's something to be said about commonality, but uh, again, in that context of what's the easiest for your systems for, for your teams to work in is certainly a consideration to have. And so I don't always go to, to, to the same tool. It really doesn't matter to me which tool, as long as you understand those patterns and what you would try to achieve with a given tool. Yeah, good point. I've uh, had a, just a personal affinity for Terraform, and I've noticed many developers find it pretty easy to pick up for whatever reason, the ergonomics or whatever are very suited and people get the use cases. Uh, and then you just start working in it. It's easy to spin up and write yourself a YAML file or whatever it is. Uh, but it's also then easy to get the equivalent of spaghetti code going in uh, your configuration, perhaps. Do you have any best practices or advice for how you should structure, properly structure a Terraform solution? Hmm. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think a primary consideration there is as there's change going throughout your solution, right? We're going to be starting all the way down from a, some type of representation of, of your environment via VPC or it's a uh, virtualization uh, platform or whatnot, but there's going to be a lower level of configuration that's hopefully happening uh, by Terraform, right? And that level of code, if you will, that level of the, the codified thing is probably not going to change as often as the, the, the technology or the solution that's sitting on top of it being like an application. So you'll want to split up those aspects of Terraform to make sure that you're not running through, say, your VPC configuration every time you want to make an application change, right? So being able to, to level or, or slice those implementations of that code, uh, be it by importing state or however you'd like to, to slice that up, you're, you're reducing the blast radius, right, of any mistake that might happen. And so I think dividing up the solution by that and, of course, writing reusable code, as uh, write as many kind of modular type of, of things that people can reuse or you can, you know, use for, for replication is a key aspect. And that's typically, you know, a, I think a skill that's just kind of learned um, there's certainly patterns, and you can watch some YouTube videos or read some blog posts. But I, I find that those patterns really aren't kind of uh, realized until until you've made a mistake and, and you learn from them. Sure, yeah. Well, there are certain patterns I'm thinking of, like the mono repo approach. Uh, that uh, if you take on a new client, I imagine you just go with the flow. That's how their style. They do that makes sense. 
Are there any patterns, or I guess we call them anti-patterns, that you see that you have to uh, really take a step back and convince people they need to change their ways on? Oh, yeah. So the first thing I'm, I'm looking for usually when I'm uh, working with a client is any type of tests around the infrastructure, maybe even the validation stages, uh, processes that happen within this code. So again, writing code and uh, representing your infrastructure as, as code is a very powerful thing. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. We're going to make mistakes. And so if you're using this, this tooling and you're not providing processes which enable failure, meaning if we have a failure, it's not catastrophic, but we get to kind of necessarily learn. Understanding that we're human, we're going to make uh, mistakes. Being able to catch those and learn from them is a key characteristic that uh, I'm always looking for within um, our projects and and make suggestions in in terms of, okay, so we, we have a problem. How can we learn from this problem that we just experienced? And can we improve our qualitative or, or validation steps to help catch this before it goes through, right? And us being human, we don't have to be perfect. Certainly no one person causes a, a failure, but can we construct or can we question the systems that we're working in to improve those processes and you know implement with confidence? And I think that's ultimately what's pursued with, with continuous delivery, not just the a compilation and, and, you know, integration between different tools, but the processes that you, you build to implement and change and, and work with the life cycle of that solution throughout its existence. Well, when it comes to simple unit tests and following test-driven development, I feel like every language and framework has a good story. I know how to do that. The story for testing my infrastructure is not quite as clear. Uh, what are some approaches for getting started? Yeah, so um, this, of course, depends on which tool it is that you're working with. I, I don't know that you want to go maybe all the way down to certain what I would consider unit testing um, aspects because we're basically, you know, testing the functionality of the tool that we're using. But at a more maybe integration level or getting a picture of the world, um, one of the ways that I kind of like to go about thinking about what type of tests I, I would use or write for infrastructure is, let's say I'm provisioning something in AWS via VPC, EKS, anything in AWS. When I when I do my provisioning, if I find myself going into the web console and checking certain things uh, at certain places, I want to go to EC2 and see if the, the, the VMs are there, if I have the appropriate security groups, is the load balancer there, do I have the correct DNS records, right? This web front end is really uh, also, these capabilities are also accessible through an API. And so rather than really kind of visualizing those checks every time, uh, codify those, those those aspects, the same kind of checks that you're doing. And this applies not only to like a cloud level, but even down into an application testing aspect. If we are changing code, bringing up a, a web console, to look at a message, can, can we automate that, that repeatable activity so that we can really use testing creativity, let the humans kind of do the creativity work, let the robots, let the computers do the repeated work. And so however you're working through your solution, if you can automate those same type of validated uh, or, or testing patterns that, that you find yourself doing as you're writing the code, 
those lend to uh, good practices for what how you understand to to test those aspects that you are coding. And that's going to traverse everything down to configuration management that you're using to build a server, to provisioning a solution up in the cloud, to running things on, on Kubernetes, right? Those aspects with your understanding of how you're implementing something, uh, what the end result should be, automating those testing efforts is really my best uh, suggestion, I guess. Makes sense. What are the advantages that companies realize if they take continuous delivery seriously? Why make the investment? Well, performance is, is usually the, the biggest motivator, right? There are, there are the aspects of let's, we want to be quicker to market. We want to have uh, technical agility. We want a better quality. And continuous delivery is, is commonly brought up in those discussions. And again, I think that organizations tend to go to the, to the tooling that's most commonly associated with, with those methods. But I think that, you know, not too long after you adopt those tools, there is a, a realization maybe that we may now be working harder than we were before and not perhaps seeing the expected benefits of, of you know, what we were pursuing. And I think it's, it's that, you know, technical aspect that gets everybody kind of in. And soon people start to realize the cultural aspects, which is why culture is, you know, generally so talked about in, in the DevOps world. And what does it mean to kind of have, you know, good culture in order for us to kind of get continuous delivery, get those performance aspects, we need to then, you know, focus ultimately on the processes, on the, uh, the social systems uh, that exist within an organization, because they're typically the constraint in, the, in this pursuit. And so getting all of these tools that, uh, you know, help enable continuous delivery is kind of like having a, you're going from riding a bike, right? Riding a bike, doing everything kind of manual, and you traverse to a tooling that is essentially uh, kind of a, a jet, right? But if you're not enabled from a cultural aspect, if you're not enabled to move as fast as the tools allow you, then you essentially have this jet that you can't really take off, take off the lot. You can't go any farther than, than what you're, you're responsible for. And this eventually kind of just ultimately breaks down into lean and theory of, uh, of constraints and an emphasis on quality, efficiency. And, well, you know, when I first heard about lean through uh, Calms, it's a, it's a acronym, kind of five pillars of, of DevOps, read about lean. I'm thinking, oh, do less, get more. I'm, I'm kind of all about that. But it's not really about a, a pursuit of leisure or, or, you know, kind of being able to, to do less, but more about influencing pride and in work, understanding and, you know, enjoying your purpose in the organization. And those are the type of problems uh, that I help work through most commonly and that are really a requirement uh, for true continuous delivery for these performance uh, and, and kind of quality uh, enhancing characteristics that I think that organizations are, are usually pursuing. Could you expand on some of those organizational challenges? I guess maybe to start with, when an organization is struggling, they've upgraded and they don't know how to use the rocket. Are they aware of the problem or do they need someone to help diagnose? Some do. And I, I think that some are not maybe enlightened quite yet. And we 
typically start off with technical projects that uh, I guess evolve into or maybe pivot into different aspects once realized. And so I think you know the solutions to maybe some of, some of these difficulties are a bit a different dimension maybe than was kind of anticipated by the organizations. And in that, I mean, you know, the dimension essentially of culture. And there are characteristics, I think, that should be pursued versus technologies when attempting to to make these types of performance-enhancing improvements. That's, a, you know, a, a rough way to, you know, basically talk about what I think is essentially explained by Conway's law, but, you know, an organization is going to perform, it's going to create what the culture is. And what I mean by that is essentially if engineers don't have a good understanding of their purpose in a cultural aspect, what they're kind of being relied on for, understanding their purpose, uh, the value that they bring to a solution, then it's, then it's difficult to understand completely how, how to best do something or how, you know, how to really give their best effort into something that, that they're working on, that they're responsible for, right? So I think it comes along with in, incentivizing people in, in a certain way, aligning goals, communicating context, sharing as much as possible, and working towards a common goal than rather being a, uh, representing a domain or you know, being siloed off from an organization that's ultimately trying to achieve a, an aligned goal. Gotcha. Yeah, totally agree on those points about an engineer knowing their function and role. I don't think anyone necessarily intends to hide that from them. Maybe if they're working on some secret, you know, top secret project or something. But in general, I think everyone's fully behind the vision you laid out. Uh, I expect so anyways. What prevents people from naturally being in that state? What gets them out of alignment? So uh, this is going to be an opinionated take here. But, you know, I, I think that the primary, there are three primary objectives uh, to, to accomplish before you can kind of take on all these tools and start seeing how fast you can go. Um, and those are really more cultural. The first one is is that of vulnerability. So I, I wrote a blog post uh, recently that kind of distills all of this information from my perspective. But in my experiences throughout my career, uh, I used to come from a very prideful aspect of my work. And, you know, that I, I found out was was not the best for me, not only from, from the perspective of personal relationships with the people that I work with, but in the technical uh, aspects and, and the skills and the learning um, about these technologies that I've been so fortunate to, to work with in the past. And so coming into a solution or a project or, you know, whatever responsibility that you have without an aspect of vulnerability, I've learned is a hampering for, for one's career. And so, you know, when we are approached, I talk about diversity in, in terms of thought for any project or, or team that you're a part of. Without listening to others, without di- taking in different perspectives for for you know even solutions that maybe you've you've done many times before, I think that that is a a restrictor. And if you're not working with a team who's open to that type of thought, then it becomes very tough to influence or or help them um, in any one type of way. They might be perceived as you know being threatened w- with their role or or you know their even maybe their status 
in the organization. That's a tough thing to work through. And ultimately, I think if you break down the the, the barriers of maybe pride or, or whatnot uh, and let them know that uh, we're here to collaborate, we're here to all succeed together and work towards an objective, we'll all be better off if we can just kind of trade our, our ideas and have discussions about them. The second aspect is to be able to question. Uh, this is known as, uh, you know, building a learning organization, being able to go through experiences, reflect and question on the processes in which you're using uh, allows you to continuously learn about things. And this is more along the lines of learning through experience. If you're in an endeavor and for some reason that fails, you don't essentially scrap that, that you know, all of the lessons that are available to learn from there, but iterate and improve on them. That then, you know, is going to uh, allow you to alter or, or change things, but in a motivation of improvement, right? We're always trying to continuously improve. And through our failures, uh, we should learn more and be able to kind of pivot or change and understand how we can maybe not repeat that uh, mistake or experience. Finally, with those two avenues available in communication and just kind of, you know, uh, being able to, to to talk about things in real world terms, um, then we can focus on quality and everything that we do, we can uh, improve on in our processes, understanding that we are vulnerable, understanding that we have the ability to change and improve with a focus on quality. We can improve our systems. We can improve in the way that we collaborate. And generally when we're making those types of improvements, to accomplishments that we need to, you know, professionally uh, accomplish or our roles are responsible for, that tends to, uh, you know, have a good influence on your everyday life, on your everyday, you know, at, at work. And so you're, you're getting quality of, of life through work. And that's a very hard thing to, to change. There's no way, you know, that that, that can probably be done in, in a couple of months. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh that's the higher overarching goal, I think, essentially, of a lot of the projects that we we do uh, participate in. So th that's a lot there, but that's why it's not as, as direct as just kind of getting Kubernetes, installing your stuff, and you're off and running. Yeah, great vision, though, for sure. Well, to wind up, are there any DevOps trends or emerging technologies that you're excited about? Yeah. So in a general sense, I think that we are starting to kind of get out of this this uh, technology association. I, I think certainly there are a lot of uh, organizations who've been successful in, in working with individual tools, selling individual tools. But I do think that there is a bigger picture that's starting to be realized through systems thinking more along these lines of, of lean and theories of constraints and just kind of getting over that technical aspect. And, and solving the harder problems, but really the more beneficial problems to solve. And so tooling is all over the place, right? With the, the CNCF tooling landscape, I'm happy to see all of those tools. I love playing around with them, but I think for organizations to really keep success with, with, their, with their projects and, and their endeavors, uh, this aspect of the cultural phenomena uh, you know, of collaboration these things that I kind of talked about, vulnerability and quality, those are going to be trending up more, I think. Well, certainly will be interesting to follow. Christian, where can people follow your blog? 
So I don't have a specific blog. There is a um, Worldwide Technology has a digital platform. I invite you to, to check that out. I have a blog post up there uh, titled Small Batches uh, Glimpsed into uh, Systems Thinking. You just Google WWT and Small Batches. I think that'll take you there. I myself am on LinkedIn, uh, Christian Trigesser. And that's about the extent of, of my online uh, stuff. Well, Christian, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Kyle.